Hello, and welcome back to History for Today. Today, I've been thinking a little bit about teaching future historians. And so I've been drawn back to a book that I read when I was a new graduate student in history, Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, which I was surprised to find out is as old as I am. It was published in 1962. So I wrote a paper about it for my first historiography class. And so I've just recently reviewed that paper and my notes and thought a little bit more about it. So the structure of scientific revolutions, although Hume was writing specifically about the history of science, applies generally in a number of different fields. Kuhn applied the concept of the paradigm to describe scientific progress over time. The idea generated a lot of interest and discussion across a number of different fields, which eclipsed to some extent Kuhn's original focus. And this is a danger when a new explanatory scheme becomes extremely popular. Oftentimes it's extended by analogy beyond its actual range of usefulness. A notorious example of this effect was obviously social Darwinism. But other ideas such as the uncertainty principle or relativity or memes have also been extended into areas where it's not entirely clear that they apply appropriately. Kuhn was aware of this potential and he saw this happening. So he refined his description and he made many of his assumptions explicit and he gave some suggestions and warnings regarding the wider application in a postscript that was included in the edition that I read. And taken together, the text and the postscript presented a structure and a tool set that if used carefully would probably be very helpful to the historian. Kuhn's thesis was that scientific progress does not actually proceed cumulatively, but rather oscillates between stable periods of what he calls normal science, during which scientists elaborate and extend a single dominant paradigm, and then revolutionary breaks when the existing paradigm fails and is abandoned in favor of a new one. Kuhn defines the paradigm as in his words, the entire constellation of beliefs, values, techniques, and so on, shared by members of a given community. It's also, he says, an exemplar, a set of symbols and problems and solutions by which students become socialized and learn the language and the worldview of their new discipline. Kuhn denied that scientific development progresses by a series of successive increments that add to the accumulation of facts making up current knowledge like bricks forming a wall. He portrayed professional scientific life not as an impartial empirical exploration, but as mop-up work, which elaborates and extends whatever happens to be the existing paradigm. Kuhn provided several examples demonstrating that the normal scientist is, in his words, an expert puzzle solver rather than a brilliant creative innovator. Sharing a paradigm allows a scientific community to take the foundations of their field for granted, resulting in highly refined answers to the most elaborately esoteric problems. And a lot of the time that is exactly what science needs. Periods of normal science, though, are interrupted when anomalies between observations and the expectations suggested by the paradigm begin to demonstrate the weakness of a paradigm. Q 
Kuhn said that it's initially difficult, and he describes this initial difficulty in seeing anomalies, which he says is caused by a conditioning of scientists' perceptions by the paradigm. But as insecurity caused by the growing preponderance of anomalies begins to increase, it leads to a crisis for the existing paradigm. The immediate reaction to a crisis of scientific anomalies is actually not the abandonment of the paradigm. Kuhn provided several examples of major and minor scientific revolutions, showing that the strict falsifiability suggested in Karl Popper's famous theory does not seem to play a role. Kuhn claimed a paradigm is never released until a new one is accepted in its place. Revolutions are a scientific community's ultimate rejection of an existing paradigm in favor of a new one. And the adoption of a new paradigm changes scientists' perceptions and tools and language in a way that makes their understanding incommensurable with that of the old paradigm scientists. He says, confronting the same constellation of objects as before and knowing that he does so, he nevertheless finds them transformed. These revolutions appear invisible later in the history of science, Kuhn explained, because each successive generation learns science through the lens of the new paradigm. In what I think of as kind of a postmodern turn, Kuhn argued that scientific paradigm choices are ultimately made through a conversion experience, rather than through the agreement of a particular paradigm with observation of nature. Because he says nature cannot be seen, except through a paradigm. The paradigm cannot be accepted incrementally, it has to be experienced from within. To translate a theory or worldview into one's own language, he says, is not to make it one's own. For that, one must go native, discover that one is thinking and working in not simply translating out of a language that was previously foreign. Now, this is a big claim. Kuhn is basically saying this is an all or nothing and a one-way process. And I'm not sure if I 100% believe it, but I don't have to believe it to work with the idea. History differs from science in that there are many interpretive traditions that seem to peacefully coexist. On the other hand, it could be argued that each particular historiographic tradition functions as a separate paradigm to a degree that is probably worth exploring, even if it's less of a degree than in the absolute sense that Kuhn has claimed for science. The historian may find herself in a situation similar to the scientist's paradigm crisis if data refuses to make sense through her interpretive model that she's chosen. But generally, the historian's more acute awareness of the coexistence of other models probably gives her more flexibility than the scientist might have in her response. Science must find for every effect a single cause. The historian isn't really faced with the same requirement. Historians have the advantage of being able to live with explanatory ambiguity that would be unacceptable in science. And because they don't tend to go as deeply most of the time into esoteric specialization, historians may be less likely to develop the perceptual rigidity of scientists who are heavily invested in an existing paradigm. It would be interesting to investigate whether scientists who do tend to rely on an esoteric specialist language, such as perhaps economic historians, might be a little bit more susceptible to being 
blinded by their paradigms. But generally, historians are always in contact with other paradigms. And since changes in interpretive traditions are actively studied by historians, the level of unselfconscious identification with a paradigm that seems to be achieved by scientists sometimes seems to be unlikely and probably inappropriate for the historian. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to be aware of it and guard against it. To whatever degree Kuhn's model accurately describes scientific revolutions, it's probably because science relies on a single paradigm at a time and its very detailed elaboration between crises. The existing paradigm always represents the best available explanation and fit with reality, although it doesn't claim to be the best possible fit. The process of normal science discovers anomalies which accumulate along the way and then ultimately trigger crises resulting in new paradigms. Kuhn convincingly illustrates his thesis with examples of very large as well as very small revolutions, which allows the reader to see global changes as well as those that are restricted to narrow sub-disciplines. How accurately this model describes the discovery process in other fields could be judged by a similarly thorough analysis of their major and minor changes, I suppose. Theoretically, it probably depends on the degree to which the field in question is structured around a series of successive paradigms that have to be accepted by everybody. Historians generally don't seem to need a series of unanimously held paradigms that preserve the problem-solving capabilities while changing the worldview of the predecessor paradigm. Public or popular history, on the other hand, may be a different issue and should probably be looked at separately. The most useful aspect of Kuhn's book for understanding how historians work, I think, is not so much in the theory of change, but in that specific exemplar definition of the paradigm. Exemplars are the concrete examples illustrating high-level concepts that a student learns when she enters the field. Their mastery allows the discipline to know when the student has in Kuhn's words, assimilated a time-tested and group-licensed way of seeing. Kuhn said exemplars allow us to learn to see the same things when confronted by the same stimuli. So in a sense, it's kind of a groupthink. In this groupthink sense, paradigms may function in a discipline to establish a degree of consensus around what Kuhn calls tacit knowledge. Excessive attention to this tacit knowledge especially if it's combined with deliberate avoidance of anything that doesn't conform, could be a way for paradigms to operate as deterrence to progress in historical thinking. So that is something for me to think about as I consider my role in teaching future historians. So I've always been fascinated with Kuhn and with how much we can apply his thinking to the field of history. I hope people found that interesting. Thanks for listening. I'll see you again next time.